amputations are a serious medical procedure, and amputees are usually victims of an accident, health issue, or a casualty of war. But you wouldn't know that from watching the majority of the movies we talk about today, with topics like psychotic surgeons, circus freaks, amputee kung fu masters, prosthetic chicken feet, and Bruce Campbell with a chainsaw attached to his bloody stump arm. And all that happens before we even get to the 90s. Today's episode is all about a topic that some say should be sacred, but doesn't even come close in my episode on amputees. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from evil dolls, to murderous twins, to aborted baby toxic waste monsters. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hi, Tom. Hey, Slate. How are you? The same as I've been. Uh huh. We're holed <laughs> up in a hotel room in Delaware. Okay. All right. So one of the funny things about this is we always talk about who do you think listens to this podcast? Because we do essentially, I think, have 20,000 subscribers to I this thing. I think so. You were the, you're the numbers guy. You crunch this shit. All I, just, I do is I open up, up an app and look at it. And then I kind of make up some numbers after that. Like I look at the numbers and then I analyze them. And okay. sometimes that analyzation involves lying. That's good. Yeah. But one of the cool things is, is that Squarespace just updated their analytics. I say just, they probably did it a year ago and I just actually opened up the app and look. That's more accurate. But there is an activity log and we can see some of you out there and what you're doing with us. <laughs> that's pretty, that's fascinating. That's great. For example, this is a new one. This is at 332. Somebody from Grabunden, Switzerland downloaded Russ Meyer's Boob Dynasty. Oh, somebody from Staten Island also did the same thing at 230. Someone in Peoria from Illinois wow. downloaded Puke and Jizz. <laughs> That's appropriate. Somebody from Russia downloaded Terrible Twins at 8.50 a.m. this morning. <laughs> somebody in New Delhi, India listened to Russ Meyer. The Russ Meyer is really popular on right, here. It's because like of boobs. the boobs. Yeah, yeah, it's the boobs. Oh, looks like your bad computer's episode is doing relatively well it got a whole bunch of downloads just even in the past day or two nice which it's been out for a couple weeks in the netherlands female nudity 402 p.m today wow this is a lot of stuff this is a lot of really interesting information i mean it's not really that interesting it's just who downloaded what but oh your black exploitation episode is doing very well in sydney australia mate is terrible. Sorry. There's another black exploitation from Virginia. That's probably somebody that we know. Yep. Well, good. I'm glad black exploitation is doing well. Here's one from 558 from Iran. It doesn't say <laughs> what it is. It just has an IP address. Are they allowed to listen to this in Iran? I don't know. I don't know. This cannot pass any Iranian censorship laws. I feel laws. like it's the Ayatollah that's listening to Boob Dynasty. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what this... Oh, that's Switzerland too. Yeah. Incest is very big in Gardnersville, Nevada. <laughs> it probably is actually big. I was going to make a West Virginia joke, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Oh, my God. Rape Revenge at 256 was downloaded in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. What? <laughs> Russ Meyer's Boob Dynasty was in the United Kingdom and in Michigan at the exact same time, 242 and 243. Oh, suspicious. People love boobs. Is I that mean, the most popular episode? No, because I see... Gardnersville, Nevada, wacky ride to suicide. You've got a you've got a fan in Gardnersville. Oh, good. Okay. Anyway, this Thanks, goes on and on and on. That's fascinating. From what I'm seeing, there's hundreds of downloads a day. Thanks, everybody out there. That's awesome. We now, appreciate it. Yeah, when we're not in season, I think we get one download a day. But, I mean, sure, but you know, 
whatever. All right. Anyway, yeah. if you ever wanted Every to know who's listening to Slums of Film History and what they're listening to, we it, actually have those numbers. Right. Some ta- of you are fucking perverts out there, too. Yep. The Ayatollah Khomeini is listening to Russ Meyer's boob dynasty as we speak right now. Y'all love some titties, huh? Yep. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to wrap this up just by talking a little, <laughs> a little bit about, we just learned this this morning at right. breakfast that we this even existed it, and that, we were like, yeah. well, let's tell people. So if you are listening right now, then you know you've got some friends out there in uh, in some foreign countries. So. Right. Okay. Ready to talk about amputees? You're, you are selling the shit out of this. So I'm so excited to hear this I hope it's topic. fun. This might have been a listener suggested topic, maybe from like season one. I feel like maybe Christine suggested this one. She also might have done deformities and then I went off on a tangent and did amputees. I'm pretty sure Christine recommended something along these lines. But anyway, thanks, Christine. Thanks, whoever did this. She's like, I don't listen to this fucking shitty podcast anymore. <laughs> it was five years ago. All right. Today's episode is a pretty serious topic. But since my past two episodes have teetered on the line of being a bit safe, I'm going to focus on the schlock treatment of amputees. Oh, everyone today. out there appreciates that, I yeah. can tell you. So a few ground rules. Every movie in this episode requires some sort of amputation of note that has some type of medical reason or drives the plot of a movie forward. So just because a slasher movie cuts off someone's arm or leg, it's not enough to be in this episode. Okay. So like in the movie It, for example, when Pennywise pulls Georgie's arm off and then waves to the Losers Club with the severed arm, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it's kind of funny. That's not a plot point. It doesn't really have anything to do with the movie. Okay. In the movie Fried Green Tomatoes, when Buddy Jr. almost dies by getting hit by a train, but instead loses an arm and they have a funeral for it, it doesn't count because it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. It doesn't. There's no part in the plot you. you could take that out and it wouldn't really matter although that's also funny it's not an f- amputation based film correct it is a scene in where they have a funeral for an arm which is funny okay Moby Dick does count because a whale ate Captain Ahab's leg and then the whole book and movie focus around him getting revenge for this amputation right or in Evil Dead 2 where a lot of people lose limbs but Ash cuts off his own hand and attaches a chainsaw on it to kill the rest of the deadites so that counts you know Sure. That's how I'm making this distinction. Right. It's a definite plot point. Amputations and amputees have been around since the beginning of mankind, but in respect to surgery, Hippocrates? Hippocrates? (laughs) I can't say it. Say it. Hippocrates. That guy described the use of ligatures. That's what you use for tying and binding something tightly for the purposes of amputations as early as 400 BC. So a really long time ago. Yeah. This technique was abandoned during the Dark Ages, but reintroduced in 1959 by this French military surgeon. I could say his name, but I'll pronounce it wrong. As a result, amputations came to be used more and more as a life-saving measure since the rate of survival was much higher when ligatures were used. So then after that, the term tourniquet was introduced in 1674 the first elbow disarticulation that's the separation of bones at the joint procedure was in 1536 and the first successful hand amputations were performed in 1900 so it wasn't really that long ago that like successful actual amputations were were able to be had and then in addition each major war seems to have been the stimulus not only for improvement of amputation surgical techniques but also for the development of improved prostheses the amputee coalition of america estimates that there are over 185,000 new lower extremity amputations each year just within the United States and an estimated population of 2 million American amputees. The number of amputations caused by diabetes increased by 24% from 1988 to 2009. That's a lot. That's a lot. Among those living with limb loss, the main causes are vascular disease. That's 54%, including diabetes. Trauma is 45% and cancer is less than two. There are more than 1 million annual limb amputations globally. So those are the numbers in the history. Obviously, the majority of modern amputations are due to disease, specifically diabetes. But in the past, it was mostly due to war. Yet it seems like Hollywood doesn't find either of those reasons particularly interesting, at least not at first, because the first film I want to talk about is one of the most exploitation-y films we'll talk about today. And it happened in 1920 before the Hays Code with one of your favorite second-billed actors, Lon Chaney. It's amazing how this podcast somehow became the Lon Chaney show. To listen to this podcast, Lon Chaney is in every movie. I feel like, yeah. So that movie is called The Penalty, and it's kind of nuts. 
a man named Blizzard, played by Lon Chaney, <laughs> is deranged. And it's a weird name. I like it already. Yeah. It's, he's deranged from a childhood operation in which both of his legs were needlessly amputated after an accident and becomes a vicious criminal and eventually the mob leader of the San Francisco underworld. He has two goals in life. One is to get revenge on the doctor who amputated his legs. That's kind of like basket case a little bit. Yeah. And the other is to rally the mob and loot the city of San Francisco. He poses for the bust of Satan, which is expected to be a sculptural masterpiece by the daughter of the doctor that, you know, performed the surgery. And he's trying to get her sympathy and eventually marry her so that he can kill her father. I want to bust in here and say, I like how his short-term goals are to get revenge, but his long-term goals is to basically be a Batman villain. Yeah. So that's, that's impressive. I know. Yeah, that's 1920, cool. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Meanwhile, a detective named Rose infiltrates Blizzard's mob plan, and he falls in love with her, not knowing she's a detective. He plans to lure the doctor that fucked up his legs to cut the legs off this other guy and then fuse his those <laughs> legs on his legs. That's not the way that this works. You cannot. I mean, it sounds perfectly reasonable. Yeah. But instead, the doctor gives him basically a lobotomy and it kind of like fixes him a little bit. He marries the detective, but then is shot by the leader of the mob. This movie sounds insane. Did you see it? I did not. No, we need to watch this. Yeah, movie, it feel. sounds good. It does. So Cheney refused to use trick camera angles to to make him appear like a legless amputee. Instead, he wore an apparatus to simulate amputated legs, which consisted primarily of two wooden buckets and multiple leather straps, which was complex and also, I think, very painful. Cheney's knees sat in the buckets while his lower legs were tied backwards, basically. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Studio doctors asked that Cheney not wear the device, but he insisted on doing so, so that his costume would you know, seem very authentic. To assure audiences that Cheney was not an amputee, the original release of the film reportedly included a short epilogue clip showing Cheney out of character. Because remember, back in those days, people were like, Lon Cheney's legs are gone. They didn't understand that it was a special effect. You right. know, it was so it was such a new medium. Well, also, they were worried about you thinking this was real in some way or another, like at the end of The Bad Seed when they showed her getting spanked, but she was alive. Right. That same basic theme where it's like, this is just a movie. Here's everyone's right. fine. So that clip actually actually didn't survive in the existing prints but in the movie there is actually a scene where he imagines his gang of anarchists carrying out the looting from a building and he's seen directing the heist unamputated so that's in his dream scene of where he has legs so that is what is remaining in the print now gotcha the penalty was one of cheney's breakout roles and secured his place as one of america's most famous character actors before moving on to his more famous roles in 1923's the hunchback of notre dame 1925's the phantom of the the opera and of course <laughs> spider baby. baby yeah in 2009 empire magazine named the penalty number 17 in a poll of the 20 greatest gangster movies you've probably never seen oh well, interesting yeah. the next film is the adaptation of one of the most famous literary amputees captain ahab from herman melville's book moby dick first movie adaptation of captain ahab was the film the sea beast from 1926 <laughs> starring john barrymore remember the sea beast oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we love sea beast talked about it a little bit in our episode on underwater slaughter but it's a pretty faithful adaptation adaptation where in the beginning john barrymore gets his leg bitten off by a whale no longer being able to be a seaman he gets a peg leg and Uh, vows revenge thank you on moby dick he sets out to kill him it's a little hard to tell how the peg leg scenes are done especially when john barrymore is walking but it looks like a combination of having his knee bent in the leg brace and then somehow there's some camera trickery to make it so he was never shot at a side angle so you can't see the leg jutting out you know yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. the sea beast was massively successful and is now considered one of the best films of the 20s. In fact, only four years later in 1930, John Barrymore remade the exact same movie, but this time with dialogue and a musical score. And it was also a big hit. So huh. the Sea Beast got made and then remade four years later with gotcha. sound. Yeah. Nice. Defying all genres and tropes up to this point, but full of schlock nonetheless, was Freaks from 1933. God, we love some Freaks, I don't know. we? There are no amputation scenes in Freaks, but there are four actors in the film born with various conditions and missing limbs. The first, Martha Morris, was born without any arms and shorter than normal legs. In Freaks, she starred along with Frances O'Connor, also born with no arms, but with legs who could eat, drink, and smoke cigarettes using her feet. It's important. Johnny Eck was born with no legs and missing most of his trunk, which made him look like when he was dressed, he only existed from the nipples up. Right. 
but with a normal sized head, shoulders and arms. But the most famous of the circus sideshow stars born with no arms or legs and a very small torso was Prince Randian, also known as the human caterpillar. Prince Randian was a circus mainstay when Todd Browning heard of him and gave him one of the most memorable scenes in Freaks, where he carried on a conversation while rolling, lighting and then smoking a cigarette using nothing but his mouth. So already you've got three pretty schlocky treatments of losing limbs. The first being performed by a sadistic doctor, the second getting bitten off by a whale, and the last being circus freaks that people pay to gawk at until they rise up and violently turn normies into freaks as well. Pretty right. schlocky so far. But they aren't real amputees. You're saying the freaks aren't real amputees? Nothing was amputated. Correct. It's questionable whether <laughs> I'm allowed to use that or not, because nothing was actually... I said in the beginning, nothing was amputated, but they're not amputees. Well, what do you call them? Freaks. <laughs> That's so fucked We're up. Never this Iran is never going to be able to listen to this. No, episode. not they won't. No. Gone with the Wind from 1939 has an amputation scene from the Civil War that Scarlett O'Hara can't watch, and thus we don't get to see it either. And similar to Lon Chaney in The Penalty, Ronald Reagan played a double-leg amputee in the film King's Row, and it made him a star. This film also has an unnecessary amputation of Reagan's legs, and it ruins his life until he realizes that it was a mistake and is basically like, oh, well, like, fuck them legs, I'm still alive. (laughs) Fuck them legs. That's not a direct Reagan (laughs) quote, by the way. I would have liked it if it was. And then Hitchcock's lifeboat came along where a man on the lifeboat of a shipwrecked boat must have his legs amputated in order to survive while the rest of the boats wait to be rescued. So far, all of these films, with the exception of Gone with the Wind, deal with amputations in vastly different ways. But as I mentioned, as World War II comes to an end in the 40s, Hollywood films started to deal with the repercussions of war. And one of those things was that a lot of soldiers came home in not as good shape as they left. And on some occasions, they came back missing limbs. The most famous of these films was The Best Years of Our Lives from 1946. The Best Years of Our Lives is about three men returning home from the war and how it's affected them once they get there. These are the great personalities who bring a memorable experience to glowing life. Samuel Goldwyn's masterpiece. The screenplay was written by Robert E. Sherwood, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright of Petrified Forest and Idiot's Delight. From this... William Wyler, who won the Academy Award for his direction of Mrs. Miniver, wove a pattern of motion picture magic, with Myrna Loy and Frederick March living through the heartwarming second bloom of love. Dana Andrews and Teresa Wright feeling the breathtaking thrill of love at first sight. Hoagie Carmichael spreading his own brand of stardust. All of them together, giving all of us the best years of our lives. I want to talk about the character Homer Parrish, played by Harold Russell, who was an actual amputee. Russell was working at a grocery store in Massachusetts when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. He rushed to enlist in the army, quote, not out of patriotism, but because I thought of myself as a failure. Things were okay until some of the dynamite he was holding accidentally detonated and blew off both of his hands. This happened in the war. Both hands were replaced with the metal hook type claw things. You know, the ones that you can actually like go boop, 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 pick things up. Yeah, that's the actual sound effect. (laughs) Boop, boop, boop. (laughs) And he returned home and was in an actual army film about rehabilitation. Director William Wyler had just won an Oscar for Best Director for the film Mrs. Miniver, and he saw that film and recruited Russell, who, besides the Army film, had never really acted before. The Oscars gave him an honorary Oscar for his performance that night for, quote, bringing hope and courage to his fellow veterans. So he won an Oscar right at the beginning of the show, a special honorary Oscar. But then he went on to surprise everyone and actually won Best Supporting Actor as well. So they were going to give him an Oscar just because they were like, he's making the world a better place. But then he actually won Best Supporting Actor, which nobody saw. So that makes him the only actor in the history of the Oscars to win two Oscars for one role. Wow. It's not bad for a guy who thought of himself as a failure. Is he the only amputee to win an Oscar? I don't know, but I think so. Okay. You mean actual amputee or someone that played the role? No, an actual amputee. I'm pretty sure. But any listeners out there? Turkey? Switzerland? Incestville, Nevada? (laughs) They're all like, we're just listening for the boobs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We don't care about no hook hands. 
This is probably a good time to talk about characters with hook hands. I'm not talking about Harold Russell from The Best Years of Our Lives. I'm talking about like a hook, like a scary hook, you right. know, like Captain Hook. And that's actually what I thought the first character in movies to have a hook hand was Captain Hook. I actually went to do a little bit of research about Captain Hook. Do you know how he lost his hand? Didn't the alligator eat it? No, Peter Pan cut it off and then fed it to an alligator. Fuck that kid. Peter Pan is a monster. He is a monster. Of. He cut a hand off of an adult. That's Grown a horrible thing. Yeah, and terrible. then he was like, I'll feed it to an alligator. That's savage. Right. Peter Pan, what a dick. Well, you can't blame the captain for wanting to kill his ass. I'd be mad as fuck, too. Fuck that kid. I thought that was actually the first example of a character, you know, with a, ho- with a hook on a stump, basically. But apparently there was a Dick Tracy character named The Claw for his way of killing victims with his prosthetic hook hand in the movie Dick Tracy's Dilemma from 1947. So that was actually before 1953's Peter Pan. So there you go. Captain Hook was not the first movie character to have a hook jammed into his stump hand. No. Also, all the Dick Tracy characters had deformities. They were so fucked up. Yeah. Right. So it's like... I remember Little Face was my favorite. Little Face. You only liked the movie because Madonna did the music for it. She was in it, right? She was yeah. in it for a minute? Yeah. It's pretty good. I actually did a little bit of history on Dick Tracy just because I was like, what happened? They made one of these. It was a huge deal at the time. It had every actor. Al Pacino was in it. I mean, it had every right. famous actor. It was crazy popular. Basically, Warren Beatty like lost the rights to it. So he was going to make it a serial. You know, it was going to be, there were going to be 10 Dick Tracy movies that he was going to play. Was it a hit though? It kind of wasn't as big of a hit as I think everybody thought that it was I don't think it was that great, if I remember. It's decent. I mean, for a early 90s, you know, comic book movie, it's, it's pretty good. It's not great, I admit. Right. But yeah, he lost the rights to it. So he, they made the first one and then all this like legal stuff happening basically couldn't make any more of them. Yeah, that's probably for the best. And the studios were like, eh, didn't really make that much money anyway. Yeah, so tough shit. As we get into the 60s, most of the World War II films start to dry up by this time and amputees in movies are fewer and far between. There's The Trap from 1966 with Oliver Reed. He plays a fur trapper that buys a deaf-mute Native American wife in the Canadian wilderness. He ends up fighting a bear and winning not raping a bear, but he gets his foot stuck in a bear trap and ends up getting blood poisoning. His wife, who doesn't really like him because he bought her, Mm -hmm. ends up having to chop off his leg with an axe and nursing him back to health, which causes them to fall in love with each other. He gets a peg leg after a while and he can, you know, use crutches and, and get around. Cool. As we spoke about in our John Waters episode, Mondo Trasho from 1966 has a scene at the end where at an insane asylum, Mary Vivian Pierce's feet get amputated and replaced with chicken feet that when clicked together give her the ability to teleport to different places but mainly different parts of Baltimore this was obviously a take on Dorothy's shoes from the Wizard of Oz being able to take her home and of course since Baltimore was John Waters home amputated chicken feet being able to take you places around Baltimore at least made some sense I guess speaking of cult movies all three of Alejandro Jodorowsky's earliest films feature amputees starting with El Topo from 1970 The Holy Mountain and then of course Sana Sangra from Mm -hmm. uh, 1980 we talked about these movies so much so I'm just going to move on there's an amputee scene on Clint Eastwood in the 1971 movie The Beguiled and the remake on Colin Farrell but I want to skip ahead because we're kind of at the part in the 70s where basically the grindhouses were in full swing and here's where we get to our first all in out exploitation movie called Mr. No Legs from 1978 (laughs) here's the plot line and you can watch this entire movie free on YouTube In 1970s Florida, two detectives try to take down crime boss D'Angelo, who is smuggling drugs concealed inside cigars. His top enforcer is Lou, a.k.a. Mr. No Legs. Lou has lost his legs in an accident and uses a wheelchair to get around. However, he's a dangerous man due to his fighting abilities and a pair of shotguns built into his wheelchair armrests. I'm going to show you the trailer right now. Okay, awesome. You are about to see scenes from an unusual film about an amazing man. And we really can't blame Andy for not wanting to take a leave of absence, can we, sir? Well, under the circumstances, would you? Not until after I got the killer, sir. Plan on starting your own operation here? You will never forget Mr. No Legs. Don't miss it. 
Oh my god, we need to see that fucking Doesn't movie. it look great? That looks amazing. I love how they're like, you'll never forget Mr. No Legs. And I'm like, I can't forget the trailer. No, I gotta see this movie. It's got the black exploitation music. The music sounds He's great. Badass. He's fucking badass. Yeah. He is a real amputee, obviously doesn't have any legs, mm-hmm. and he fucks shit up yeah. like the machine guns on the wheelchair has nothing to do with how savage he is he's fucking up everything in this movie <laughs> that's incredible yeah that is fucking incredible i got nothing to say about it except we need to we need to just turn this off and go watch that is what we need to do yeah you're not getting out of this episode yet, oh, Tom. shit okay because the next film is the hong kong kung fu movie the crippled masters from 1979 the crippled masters is about two men one without arms and another with withered legs who develop kung fu abilities and fight their evil teacher who made them disabled Two sequels were released, but have little or no connection to each other. And I'm going to show you this trailer. Oh, goody. Cut his other arm off. So I, I will say it's no Mr. No Legs, mm-hmm. but it's pretty impressive. It's really something. Yeah. yeah. This is one that needs to be seen, too. I ha- did not watch either of these movies. I watched the trailers, and I kind of thought I've seen enough. A very different way of doing amputee schlock was the character Ash Williams in the Evil Dead movies and the Ash vs. Evil TV show. So in Evil Dead 2, the head of Linda from the first movie attacks Ash, biting him on the right hand. Mm -hmm. And he cuts her head off in half with a chainsaw he pried out of her body's twitching hands. But then he notices that his right hand seems to have a mind of its own and it's twitching around and like bashing plates over his head. It's kind of a funny scene. You know, it's a physical comedy. So he grabs the chainsaw and cuts off the hand screaming and laughing. But the hand is alive and he chases it throughout the cabin and he ultimately loses it. Mm -hmm. He ends up re purposing the chainsaw on his arm stump and eventually moves through a time vortex sending him to medieval england around 1300 a.d yep this is the setup for the 1992 sequel army of darkness mm-hmm. where his chainsaw hand is confiscated and he gets i called it a bionic hand that's not the technical term for it but he gets no. this crazy bionic hand it's more like a steampunk hand. yeah it's like super they take it from a suit of armor and they have like a little mechanism and it's it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. In the series, Ash versus Evil Dead, he kind of switches back and forth between the hand and the chainsaw, depending on, you know, what's funnier. What's yeah. yeah, yeah. So the real reason I decided to do this episode today is because of Boxing Helena from 1993. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get to that. I, I knew you were going to Only this. really, this is basically just some padding for me to talk about Boxing Helena. Right. I remember this scandal like it was yesterday. I was 13 when this movie came out, and I saw it right when it came out on VHS, and I, I remember everything about this movie. I watched it again for this episode. Do you remember the movie Boxing Helena? So yeah, I remember the controversy, probably not as vividly as you do, but it was a big deal when it came out for a number of reasons that I'm sure you're about to tell me about. But yeah, I remember it was a big thing. It was a huge deal and a flop of a movie. Yes, it was. All right. So I did a deep dive on this movie and I'm going to tell you everything I know about Boxing Helena. So in 1987, this aspiring producer named Philip Callen saw Jennifer Lynch, the daughter of David Lynch, obviously, Uh read poetry and he approached her about an idea he had. He wanted her to write a screenplay, and she agreed to give it a shot, even though she had basically no screenplay or filmmaking experience. And she was only 19. But she wrote the screenplay anyway, and it ended up getting acquired by producer Carl Mazacone, and he decided she should also direct it for some reason, even though she was extremely inexperienced. Mm -hmm. The script started making its way around Hollywood until it fell in Madonna's lap right after Dick Tracy. She agreed to do the film, and it started moving into production with her as Helena, and Ed Harris was chosen to play opposite her. The movie went into pre-production, and just about four weeks before filming was about to start, Lynch and Mazacone were informed from her management that she was dropping out with basically no explanation. The movie's production was shut down, and Jennifer started looking for a new Helena, and that's when she asked to meet with Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger was a huge international star after nine and a half weeks and playing Vicki Vale in Batman. When she signed on, the producer started selling the international rights to the film based on her, based on Kim Basinger. Mm -hmm. And a lot of distributors wanted the movie when they heard the plot, especially since it was a really odd premise for the time and it was a female director. And she was David Lynch's daughter. That's the big one. By July 1991, they were ready to start filming, but Kim wanted some script changes 
that would make the character of Helena be basically less than a bitch and, and much more likable. But Jennifer Lynch knew that in order for the character to work, she needed to be unlikable so that she could be developed through the film into a woman in love. So she wanted the character to gain some sympathy as the movie went on. Yeah. And so about a month before filming was about to start, Kim Basinger dropped out. But this time the producers weren't going to let it go like they did with Madonna. Mainline Pictures filed a $5 million lawsuit accusing Kim Basinger and her new management of breach of contract, and they actually won. Even though there was no actual contract, it was decided that Kim's agreement to be in the movie was binding, and she ended up having to file for bankruptcy. This ruling changed the very way that Hollywood has handled contracts ever since, and it was based on Boxing Helena. Yeah. However, even though Jennifer Lynch technically won this case, she never really saw any money from it, and it was the studio that sued. And here's where things started to even get worse for her. The case was a huge deal in 1992. Here was David Lynch's daughter, Madonna, and Kim Basinger. Oh, and also Ed Harris dropped out. And the case was based around the plot of the movie being too risky and perverse for two very major female stars to be in. And so therefore, the plot of the movie was spilled. And basically, everyone in the world knew that Boxing Helena was a movie where a surgeon is so obsessed with a woman that he amputates her arms and legs and keeps her captive in his home. People started judging the movie way too early. And based on the much hated Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, assumed this was a horror thriller and that the ending was already spoiled. So already before this movie even started production, everybody already knew what it was or or thought they knew right in the meantime jennifer cast twin peak star Sherilyn fenn in the movie and julian sands from warlock to play opposite her mm-hmm. she also got art garfunkel for some reason <laughs> bill paxton is in this i forgot all about that and the movie went into production after almost five years and then it was released and once again made headlines but for different reasons it was a critical and commercial bomb straight away from the beginning yep Early word from Sundance said that people liked it, but that that could not have been true. It was trash from day one. The acting was bad. The script was bad. It was actually a love story. It was not a horror movie, as no. people thought. Besides the doctor amputating Helena's limbs, the rest of the movie wasn't really weird or surreal like Twin Peaks. It was just extremely cliched. And then there was the ending. Have you seen this? Yeah, but it's been so long. It's also boring as it's fuck. It's so boring. It's boring oh, it's terrible. as yeah. fuck. An erotic dream. What's your name? She's Helena. From which he cannot awaken. A dark obsession. You're everything to me. You're nothing to me. He cannot control. Nothing to me. You had the faintest idea how to make me feel good. Make me feel good. What is it going to take, Nick, for you to realize I don't want anything to do with you? She is a woman he will do anything to possess. You have done a very bad thing. Anything. You should see what he's done to me. I had to operate here in the lab. If this is unheard of, why isn't she in the hospital? I took care of it, Alan. What about your life? I love her, Alan. Beyond love. Take her. Beyond obsession. Take her. There hides something. Beyond reason. You should see what he's done to me. So obviously, boxing Helena is terrible. I actually kind of liked it, but we can talk about that at a different time. Boring as fuck. It's it is boring, but the worst part of it is the ending. Yeah. So Julian Sands is obsessed with Helena, and after tricking her into coming to his home, she accidentally backs into the street while trying to get away and is hit by a truck. He amputates her legs, but after she tries to strangle him, he also amputates her arms and essentially keeps her on a pedestal, which is super cliche. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of a box because there were no special effects back then and that's how they made her appear like she didn't have any arms or legs Mm -hmm. it was basically a magician trick like a shitty magician trick on film and it looks shitty because she couldn't move anything but her mouth. And we all know, you know, even without legs or arms, you can still move. Like we saw the human caterpillar do it in mm-hmm. Freaks. He rolled 
lit and smoked a cigarette with his mouth and wiggled around. And she just sat there motionless for the entire movie. Yeah. She was stuck in a box, basically. Just saw a guy in a movie trailer with no arms beat up somebody. Beat the fuck out of somebody. He won. And so she, it was just so stiff. It was a stiff performance anyway, but it was physically stiff. She never moved anything but her mouth in the whole movie. And then Helena starts to fall in love with horrible Julian Sands, even though he's a sniveling, wimpy, like he's a fool in the movie. You would never fall in love with him. Yeah, Yeah. totally unlikable. And then he wakes up and it's all a dream. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? The worst film school cliche ever. And that's the end of the movie. Like, that fucking sucked. Yeah. It was just a dream. Right. This is 1992. Come on, guys. Right. Well, it's just, that's like the cop out, because so you don't have to stick to your convictions here. It's like, oh, right. it's all a dream, so you don't have to be offended by it, because it's just a dream. Get the and it also means that you don't actually have to have an ending to the movie. Right. Yeah. But the critics were especially savage to Jennifer Lynch. They said she was a terrible writer and director, but most importantly, a terrible misogynist. Some critics said men hurt women because they see movies like Boxing Helena. They criticized how much of a bitch Helena was, but then also criticized any sort of treatment of her and no retaliation for horrible Julian Sands, other than Helena falls in love with him at the end. They compared her to her father, who was kind of a Hollywood darling for some pretty misogynist portrayals of women, then chastised her for the exact same thing. Yeah, Jennifer Lynch won Worst Director at the Razzies for Boxing Helena, but Sherilyn Fenn did not win for Best Actress. Madonna did for Body of Evidence that year. (laughs) Interesting, right? Very interesting. Uh Luckily, the next few amputee movies did much better critically and financially. The first is The Fugitive from 1993, which was wildly popular at the time, but like no one ever talks about this movie anymore, considering it was nominated for seven Oscars. And remember, Tommy Lee Jones won Best Supporting Actor. Oh, yeah, he did. Never hear about this movie. No, it's just one of those things that really like was part of the whole culture at the time. Yeah. Everyone saw it. Was it was so it big. Was good. It was, it was, was a really good, good movie. Yeah. And then it had oversaturation and then it was gone. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Anyways, The Fugitive was about Harrison Ford coming home to his wife and seeing a one-armed man in the process of killing her. A few misunderstandings has him convicted of the murder, but he escapes on the way to jail and he sets out to find the killer himself. Interestingly enough, instead of giving the bad guy a prosthetic arm, they just painted his regular arm to look like a prosthetic one. And then they were just like, hold hold your arm very, very still. So it looks like a prosthetic, which I found kind of funny. Wow, great. They didn't even, they were just like, let's just paint your regular arm like white. <laughs> It's kind of kind of funny. It was like, fuck it. We spent all this money on this train sequence. The train sequence was pretty good. It was yeah. pretty good, but they didn't have any cash left. So it was like, here, just hold your arm up. We're going to spray that paint one. that bitch yeah. and call it a day. Hold it still. Yep. And the second film was, of course, Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Everyone's seen this movie a thousand times. Oh, yeah. Of course, the character of Lieutenant Dan, that's Forrest's platoon leader during the Vietnam War, whose ancestors have all died in every U.S. war and believes it's his destiny to do the same. After losing his legs in an ambush and being rescued against his will by Forrest, he's bitter and falls into a deep depression. He later serves as Forrest's first mate at the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company, gives most of the orders, becoming very wealthy with Forrest, mm-hmm. and regains his will to live. At the end, he's engaged to be married and is sporting magic legs. That's not my words. Those are Forrest's <laughs> words. It's titanium alloy prosthetics, which allow him to walk again. Yeah. So it was kind of a, an upbeat version of uh, of an amputee there. Yeah, that was a big deal at the time to digitally erase somebody's legs instead of binding them or hiding them in, with camera tricks. So, yeah. yeah. And in a little while, that will start to be the norm yeah. of, you know, digitally erasing it instead of trying to replace it with something or trying to like uh, Lon Chaney in the beginning, who basically put himself into buckets you know right that's long gone by the time we get to forrest gump yep the movie kingpin from 1996 starring woody harrelson has him as a bowling champ that gets him in with the wrong crowd he gets set up and then a local bowling mob holds his hand in the bowling ball return machine thingy which destroys his hand yeah we cut and he wakes up 17 years later with a hook for a hand no job no money and is an alcoholic the rest of the movie is his struggle with a special needs amish guy to get back on top as a bowling hustler since he can't bowl on his own because he doesn't have a hand yeah he ends up getting a rubber hand and there's some condom jokes and he wins the bowling championship or whatever with his dumb rubber hand i've never seen this movie Mm -hmm. but it was by the farrelly brothers and i'm furious that peter farrelly has two oscars and so i was like (laughs) fuck this movie fuck Fuck it i'm not watching it yeah that's fair one of the scariest movies ever made is oddly centered around strategic amputations and that is the takashi Miike horror love film audition from 1999 oh yeah yeah 
if you only see one film from this episode, please make it audition. I know that I put a lot of weight on the movie Boxing Helena. However, audition is a much better film. Right. I've only seen it once because I just can't bear to watch it a second time. It was so much. I've never seen it. I've seen. <gasps> I have I've seen, seen the, it. I know. I know. It's a, oh it's no! A sin. I'm going to spoiler it. I already. I see. The thing is, I'm not going to spoiler the ending. But I know by osmosis, this whole movie's been spoiled for me. I still need to see it. I know I need to see. Oh it. Oh my god! But it's, it's so just, good. It's terrifying. It is. Yeah. No. Audition is about a middle-aged widower guy who devises a mock casting audition, which young women audition for the part of his new wife. Because this was, of course, before Tinder. He falls for a young girl that seems kind of weird, but also enthralling and for four days after the audition she sits perfectly still next to the phone waiting for it to ring she's a little nuts after several dates she agrees to accompany him to a seaside hotel where the guy intends to propose marriage she agrees but then she disappears in the morning he goes out to look for her and at the dance studio where she claimed to have trained he finds a man there with prosthetic feet and then this movie starts to turn from a love movie which is what most of it is into a horror film right and to a fucked up horror Oh, it's film. so fucked up. So the bar where she claimed to work has been abandoned for a year following the murder and dismemberment of the owner. A passerby tells him that the police found three extra fingers, an extra ear, and an extra tongue when they recovered the body. So they found the body and all that extra stuff, too. Yeah. There's a disgusting vomit scene that I won't ruin. And then she appears, drugs him, and cuts off his foot with piano wire, which is absolutely excruciating to watch. I'm not going to spoil it or the end because it really is worth seeing. And it's got one of the, one of the most terrifying scenes I've ever seen. We should watch this. It's a feel, real feel good movie. Real feel good movie. All right. Sounds good. In the film version of the TV show, Wild Wild West from 1999, yeah. a character named Arliss Loveless, it's a terrible name, played by Kenneth Branagh, was a sinister double amputee who battled Will Smith and Kevin Klein. Loveless was a former Confederate military engineer who had lost most of his lower body in an accident accidental explosion the disabled loveless rode a steam-powered wheelchair and had a pair of mechanical legs his character died by falling off of a cliff while battling will smith i have no additional information for this movie other than to remind you that this was one of the biggest bombs of all time you remember this yeah it was terrible yeah it tanked with test audiences they did reshoots to add more comedy because no one knew that it was supposed to be funny in the test audiences they didn't understand that it was a comedy right so they were like oh did you think it was funny and they were like this was a comedy mm-hmm. like nobody even knew what this piece of crap yeah, was it's a notoriously bad movie yeah it made about 35 dollars at the box office <laughs> critics hated it it was actually nominated for eight razzies winning worst picture director screenplay worst screen couple for will smith and kevin klein and worst song for wild wild west by will smith remember that song oh yeah wiki wiki wild wiki wild west I think that was the song. Yeah, that's it. Also, did you know this? Will Smith turned down The Matrix to make this film. So I read something that's not like, fuck this movie, it sounds stupid, I'm gonna do this other stupid movie. Right. It was it was a weird audition, and he didn't know what he was auditioning for, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then he went to Wild Wild West, and that happened. He said that this was the worst career mistake he's ever made in his life. That's fair. Till after Earth. <laughs> that's also he's fair. He's made two. Right. Fair enough. Men of Honor from 2000 was Robert De Niro and Cuba Gooding Jr. in the true story about Master Chief Petty Officer Carl Brashear, that not Brashear, but Brashear, the first African-American master diver in the United States who lost a leg, got a prosthesis, and went right back to work, becoming the first person to ever do so in the Army. Lindsay Lohan was nominated for two Razzies for her performance as double amputee stripper twins in I Know Who Killed Me from 2007. <laughs> I've never seen that. Speaking but of bombs, I've seen it. Is it worth me seeing it? No. It sucks. It's not fun, Ben? No. Okay, well, then it never sucks. Mind. It's sad. 
It's mm-hmm. sad how bad it is. And in Planet Terror, Rose McGowan plays a stripper that gets her leg eaten off by the zombie apocalypse and has it replaced by a wooden table leg. She later uses it to stab a guy in the eye with it, eventually replacing it with a modified M4 carbine with an MC203. Does that miss? Just, yeah, M203. Yeah, yeah okay, great. Yeah, yeah. You're a gun person. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. She promptly kills a soldier and, sev- and several zombies with it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Actually, she shoots up I all like that effect. Yeah. yeah, it was fun, yeah. And just when you thought you had seen it all with amputees, Danny Boyle made an inspiring film about a guy that amputated his own arm (laughs) with James Franco in a scene where he cuts it off for a solid five minutes, which made some audience members faint. And he like with a spoon. I mean, it was actually like a pocket knife. It was a very dull pocket knife. Yeah. Yeah. That movie, of course, was 127 hours from 2010. I love this movie. I've only seen it once and infamously covered my eyes during that entire scene. The movie's also like an hour and 10 minutes long. So I missed a chunk of it because of that. Yeah, Yeah, like 80 of those minutes is him cutting his arm off. Right, yeah. (laughs) I saw none of this movie, but loved it. Anyway, so it is a true story. It's basically about a guy that goes hiking alone and while climbing, he slips and falls, knocking a boulder, which crushes his right hand and wrist against the wall. He rations his food and water and sets up a pulley using his climbing rope in a futile attempt to lift the boulder. Over the next five days, he uses his pocket knife to cut himself free, but the blade is too dull to cut the bone. He ends up making a tourniquet and then using a carabiner? Carabiner? Carabiner. Carabiner? To tighten it before breaking the bones in his arm. That scene was extremely hard to watch. Yeah. Using the pocket knife, he slowly amputates his arm and ultimately escapes. This is an odd little movie because on the surface, it seems like a biopic, but it was so specific that the guy that it was based on, Aaron Ralston, said it was more like a documentary than a film because it was so accurate. And when it comes down to it, the whole movie is about a guy trying to cut his own arm off. However, it was so well made that it ended up getting nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Actor for James Franco. Huh. Not I've bad. forgotten about that. Yeah, not bad considering how really gruesome the movie is. Yeah. Very, very different is the Japanese film Caterpillar from 2010, set in the late 1930s during the second Shino-Japanese War. Sino? Shino? I think it's Shino. Okay. In the first scene, I actually watched this movie. The lieutenant scourges, rapes, and disembowels Chinese people during the war. Later, he returns home as a war hero, but with a horribly mutilated body. He's alive now, but he only is a torso. He has no limbs, no arms, no legs. Damn. He's deaf and mute with burns covering half of his face, but with three medals. Despite his condition, he's still constantly eager for sex, which he performs acrobatically with his wife. The sexual acts are rough and are imposed on his wife. She's repulsed by him because he's a tor- she's having sex. She's fucking a torso, but nevertheless feels a duty to take care of him. The film concludes with the disabled veteran committing suicide by dragging himself into a pond and drowning himself outside Jesus. of his home. Damn. So I watched this movie and really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's so sad and depressing pressing and weird and sexual and like awful five stars I'm just laughing at that. Soul Surfer from 2011 is a true story of a woman whose arm was bitten off by a shark but survived, and they turned it into a Christian movie with Helen Hunt, Dennis Quaid, and Carrie Underwood. Jesus. Rustin Bone from 2012 starred Marion Cotillard as a woman who was attacked by orca whales at her SeaWorld job and loses both of her legs. The rest of the movie is kind of a love story between her and a professional boxer. And Stronger from 2017 was the Jake Gyllenhaal based on a true story movie about a guy from Boston who was at the marathon when those brothers set off the bomb and he lost both of his legs. Yeah. And the last movie I want to talk about now is Downsizing from 2017, which was supposed to be a huge, no pun intended, movie, but never really got off the ground where Matt Damon and a bunch of other people get shrunken to help save the environment and live better in in huge houses for a lot less money than if they were normal size. So he actually meets an amputee Thai refugee who he tries to help but fails and they end up falling in love as she shows him the true meaning of life is helping people not trying to have as much money as possible sounds like a good movie it is uh, not not I a didn't good see movie it. and honestly when i saw the commercial i was like i don't want to see this fucking movie this didn't grab me it starts off really strong i actually watched it i love that director so it starts Who was off it again alexander payne okay yeah yeah it starts off really really promising and then he gets shrunken and then it kind of goes downhill from that so i want to talk about something else which is directors that cast actual amputees as stunt doubles or characters so they 
won't have to use bad CGI or even worse, make Sherilyn Finn completely sit still with her limbs in a box and try to carry a whole movie. For example, John Carpenter's The Thing, there's a scene where the chest cavity of Charles Hallahan turns into a mouth and bites off the arms of Dr. Copper. Yep. Remember this? Great scene. An unnamed double amputee extra wore fake arms that were scored to break off so that it would look as real as possible considering how early in special effects we were in 1982. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and he wore a mask of copper. Uh-huh. So when he raised his arms in air and moved them around, then they were like severed and blood was going everywhere. Mm-hmm. He just had the one facial expression of copper going like, ah, but it was actually just like a mask. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like the masks in Sleepaway Camp. Very, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Very much like that. In the movie AI Artificial Intelligence, Steven Spielberg wanted to use as much practical or on-set special effects as he could. So at the flesh fair, there were all these broken robots. You yeah. remember this part? Mm-hmm. He hired a number of amputees to play the roles of functioning robots with no arms and legs. He actually used the same technique in Saving Private Ryan a few years prior. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's also a scene in Starship Troopers where one of the alien bugs bites off the soldier's legs. This actor was actually an amputee who lost his legs in a drunk driving accident. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. The two zombies with missing limbs, so that's the jogger missing an arm and the legless zombie in the parking garage from Dawn of the Dead were both played by amputees. Yeah, the remake you're talking about. The remake, but the same thing was actually done for one of the first zombies seen in the original Dawn of the Dead from 1978. Oh, awesome. Fun fact. Yeah. That is everything I've got. What do you think about amputees? Great, great episode. I learned a lot. What do you think specifically about amputees? I'm sure they're delightful people. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) I'm sure they're great. (laughs) What the fuck we're going from there? Oh, I I do have a movie to add, though. Yep. Uh, The movie Rolling Thunder, I talked about it in my Vigilante Veterans episode. Mm -hmm. It's by the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's one of Tarantino's favorite movies. Actually, he had a Rolling Thunder movie production company. It's from that movie. But uh, the amputee in in question was an individual who his family were all killed, and the bad guys that killed his family... We're after this like priceless coin collection or whatever they thought he had, and they stuck his hand in a garbage disposal Ugh. and turned it on, so he lost his hand, mm-hmm. and he had a hook, and then he went and got revenge against them. And the main bad guy was played by Roscoe Pico Train. Oh, Roscoe Pico Train from Dukes of Hazard. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow! And it had a big bloody finale and shoot up, oh, shoot out. This sounds and, great. Yeah, it was great. Amputee vengeance. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, good. I enjoyed doing this episode. Obviously, I just really wanted to talk about boxing Helena a lot, and I got to do that. <laughs> you did get to do. I that. I really wanted to get to the bottom of what happened with boxing Helena. So then I just padded the whole episode around that. I mean, that's great. It is not a good movie. It's not. There was such a big conversation around it when it came out. It was hugely controversial. The whole David Lynch's kid was making it, even though, did she ever do another movie? She's made like a, you know, I mean, I think it took her 15 years to make another one. Watch another movie, right, probably. But she did do a couple, and, you know, they've been very small things. But, right. You know, she's done a couple TV episodes. She's gotten some, some good acclaim, but she's never made another big movie like that again. Right. I doubt she ever will. Why would you? You know? No, I wouldn't bother. Yeah. I mean, all I would the say, shit you know what? This that. isn't for me. Yeah, yeah, fuck this. All right. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, thanks. Bye. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter where we share a lot of additional content. And if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions, please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. So I know I went through that really fast. That's just basically like amputations in medical history has been happening over a really long period of time. Is that where Iron Fist comes from? No, I think that comes from lesbians. You can't put that in here. Sorry. You can't put that in here. Oh, God. Is this going to be a tag? This is going to be a tag, isn't it? I'm, I'm fine with it. Fuck it.